those of you who may not know me, I'm here, so have a red beard, but uh, not Pastor Stephen. So uh, he will be back next week, but it's my privilege today to bring God's word to you, and I look forward to it. But I also want to remind you that this coming week is the first week that we're we're going to be doing thanks serving. And so if you're you're getting in on the tail end of this or hearing about this on the tail end of it anyways, uh, I want to remind you that, that we are a blessed people. Chiefly, we are blessed in God. And so as a response to who He is, we want to serve others and thank God for His graciousness to us by serving others. And so this coming week... We're asking that you would uh, have a family in your home or a neighbor in your home and build relationships with the people that you know that need Christ. And it's not a project, right? We don't befriend somebody just to share Christ with them, but we want to be a true friend, a friend who cares and loves. And if the most foundational aspect of our lives is Christ, then what greater thing could we share with somebody else than Him? And so I'd like to encourage you to do that this week. Have a friend over, build a relationship, share Christ. But then also you've seen in your bulletin, there was an insert for International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And there are ten ways to pray. And perhaps you would even use that this week to pray for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted around the world. This could be a good and helpful guide to you. But then also, as was mentioned earlier, Uh, Please join us, and even if you can't make it here on Thursday at noon, perhaps you would even use 30 minutes from your lunch break to pray for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted, and that would be a great way that we could lift them up before our Father. And so today, we're going to spend our time in Acts chapter 5, verses 33 through 42, and if you're going to be using the Pew Bible, that's on page 913, so that's Acts chapter 5. Verses 33 through 42. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of background because we're going to be jumping in the middle of a scene where the apostles have been preaching and teaching and performing miracles. They've even been imprisoned once, and now they're imprisoned for the second time at this point in Acts. And we're going to be jumping in where they're before the Sanhedrin, or your, your, your translation may say the council or religious leaders. And so they're responding to these religious leaders, and we even see how the religious leaders respond to them. And so they're imprisoned, and Peter, even in front of them, is preaching the gospel, asking these people to repent and believe. And so would you read with me in Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan 
or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of, of, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And so looking at this passage, I couldn't help but just ask the question, what would it be like if we were a people found with great joy like this? What if we were a church who is found to have so much joy that even in the midst of suffering, we would rejoice in our Savior? What if we as individuals would be found like this over a lifetime? I even think that for myself, I would love at the end of my life for someone to be able to say, Josh was a man of profound joy that was grounded in the goodness of God and the example of his Savior. And so wouldn't that be great? I think it would be if, if I was known or you were known or we as a church were known as people who found joy in nothing else but Christ. And, and sometimes we even want to display this joy, right? Sometimes it may be a fake joy where someone asks you, hey, how are you? And a lot of us are probably already thinking in our, in our minds, oh, I'm, I'm fine or I'm good. Right? It's almost like an auto-response. We're programmed to just say things are well or it couldn't be any better. But if what, what if it wasn't just an auto-response? What if we had true, lasting joy because we're living for one person and one person alone? That is God. And so I want us to see from this passage that we can rejoice in Christ even as we suffer as you proclaim Christ, because God cannot be stopped. So let us rejoice in Christ even when we suffer. Let us proclaim Christ even when we suffer, because our God cannot be stopped. This is important. That sets the foundation that God can't be stopped. And even these religious leaders who were opposing Jesus and his apostles, we see this, right, in Gamaliel's words. And the apostles, they wouldn't listen to these warnings. We see that. We see that, that these religious leaders, they wanted to kill the apostles. And the religious leaders, they didn't just want, they just wanted to stop them from teaching about Christ. They weren't concerned about the disciples' hearts, Nowhere in there do we see them say, we want you to turn to the one true God. It's actually the apostles doing that. And I think we see something similar in our culture, where we're told, your religion is okay, let's be tolerant, just don't put your religion on somebody else. Don't, don't tell anybody else to repent and believe in Christ. Right? And, and sometimes religion is seen as good, too, where... It's good if it brings you good morals. It good, it's good if, if you're kind and you're loving to others. Just don't push Jesus on me. Just don't tell me that 
my way is not right if I'm not following him. And I think we see something very similar with these religious people, with the council. Look, look up with me just above where we started reading in verse 28. The high priest said, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So the high priest is saying, We've told you already, stop teaching and preaching in Christ's name, but you still do it. And notice what Peter says here. Peter says, We must obey God rather than men. And so we see even though these religious people, they don't care about what, what the apostles believe. They don't care to correct them that they might rightly follow God. We just see they want... They want the apostles to stop because it's taking people away from what they're teaching. And you may even notice your translation, it may say they were cut to the heart or they were cut to the quick when it's talking about how the religious leaders responded. Right? Peter preaches the gospel in verses 30 through 32 and then they are outraged. And I think we can better understand the Greek translation there, or the the Greek uh, New Testament there as they were enraged. And this is important. Instead of being cut to the heart where they're cut and they want to repent because they see their sin, they see their need for God and Christ, they have the exact opposite. They have outrage and anger. And I think the apostles, they're aiming for them to repent and believe that they would know Christ, but instead Christ enrages them. But even despite this rage, the apostles don't shy away because they know that God cannot be stopped. Look at verses 38 and 39 with me. So in the present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this is a plan or this undertaking is not, is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. The enemies of God at this time are even recognizing that God cannot fail. He cannot lose. And then Gamaliel, the, the, Pharisee who's teaching, talking at this time, he even uses two examples. Theodos, this man who had a a following of about 400 people, and Judas, who had a following. And when they died, their followers just kind of withered away. They went away. Their following did not continue. It's a man, it was a man-made movement. But what's the exact opposite that we see? It's the exact opposite that we see here with the apostles. It's a God movement. God cannot be stopped. God can't fail. And we even have the privilege 2,000 years afterward, right? We, we see this. Not only has the church been sustained over 2,000 years, it's actually advanced. It's growing. We see this because even... Even with Jesus' teaching a few weeks ago in Luke, it starts, God's kingdom starts as a small mustard seed. And how does it end? It ends as with being the biggest tree in the garden. 
So these apostles, they're not the last lone survivors of Christ after he's died. They're the foundation upon which Christ builds his church. The foundation upon which we have come to know Christ through their teachings. And so let us hear well the words of Gamaliel. Perhaps you don't know Christ today. God cannot be stopped. He will not be stopped by anyone. And the growth of God's kingdom is a testimony that He is unstoppable. And we see the same thing today in China. Thousands and thousands turning and bowing a knee to Christ daily. But perhaps what even about, what about your own life? Do you see God at work in you? Do you see Him growing a love for you and a love for others? Or, or what about do you, are you growing in self-control, the fruits of the Spirit? Are you growing in your hatred for sin? Are you growing in your love for Christ? If God cannot be stopped and you're His child, the hope is that we are growing in Him. He's doing a great work in us. Producing in us a great joy. And despite everything in the world, it seems like, like sin is just taking over. We can know God is unstoppable. And therefore, we can rejoice in Jesus even when we suffer. Read with me in verses 40 and 41. And when they had called in the, the, the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They counted it worthy to suffer for Christ. They don't find their joy in today's charms. They don't find their joy in their family. They don't find their joy in possessions. They find it in Christ. They find it in knowing they were counted worthy to suffer for the name above all names. Here are the words of Nate Saint. You might uh, better know him as one of the, the missionaries that joined Jim Elliott in Ecuador. Nate Saint says this, people who do not know the Lord ask why in the world, we waste our lives as missionaries. They forget that they too are expending their lives, and when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance for the years they have wasted. Every single one of us on earth is expending our lives for something. It's either for eternal significance and joy or it's for earthly pleasures that fail or are, are just very, very temporary. And so I want to ask you today, do you find joy in money? Do you find your joy in a growing bank account or in your family? Do you find, find your joy in, in success at work? And what happens if we find our joy in these things? If your joy is in your money, when the hospital bills come in, 
joy quickly leaves. If you find your joy in family, well, what happens if you have a wayward child? Or even if your child just makes one wrong decision that maybe brings, at least in your view, brings shame on the family. Then your joy escapes. What if you don't get the job promotion and you find your joy and your success at work? Then it's fleeting. It leaves us. And I think perhaps we all have this same struggle. It's not unique to just one person or a few of us in here. I think we all find this struggle in finding lasting joy in Christ. Joy comes from knowing Him because nothing can take Him away. So what happens if I find my joy in Christ? Just like the apostles here. They can go through beatings later on in their life. Most of them are martyred. But yet they find joy in Him. Therefore, you can take everything, including my life, and they will still have joy. The same is for you and I. We can lose everything, but still have lasting joy because Jesus cannot be taken away from us. We are His once we are His child. And that is good news. He can never lose us. But we should also rejoice in Christ as we go through suffering because even when you're shamed, I think you might, this might be one of the times in your life you are most being formed into the image of Christ. If you're suffering and people are trying to shame you, think about Jesus. Not only did he humble himself taking on the form of a servant, but then he was obedient to death, even death on a cross for you and for me. That we might be reconciled to God. And so in your suffering or in your shame, you might not ever be closer to Christ than in those times because you cry out in dependence on him. It's in those times that we see there's nothing that I want more than Christ. And the apostles saw the same thing. And I think sometimes we, we fail to see this in our relationship with God. We fail to see the eternal, that is Christ, is where we should find our joy. But perhaps... It might be more clear sometimes that suffering is a part of our lives when, when sometimes we actually welcome it, right? Last year, if you were a Virginia Tech fan and you're going to the UVA game, you're going to Charlottesville, you put on your jersey, and you know putting on the jersey going to Charlottesville is going to welcome insults, it's going to welcome some friendly or maybe not so much friendly banter back and forth but you still put the jersey on, you still go watch your team. Why? Because you're proud of them. You're proud to be known as a Hokie. And at the end of the fourth quarter when the clock is 0-0-0, it was even better last year because they won. So then all the insults you may have heard by people around you or as you were walking to the stadium, it means nothing at all. And so the same thing is with us. 
when we become a disciple of Christ last week, remember, count the cost. Because it will cost you something. It may, co- it may cost you being liked at work. It may cost you friendly neighbors in the neighborhood. But rejoice in Christ because you can know you are on the winning team. And I want you to hear that, church. You're on the winning team. You cannot lose because our God is unstoppable. And this is good. And so I want you to remind yourselves that you are on the winning team and that we are to rejoice in Christ even as we suffer. And when we suffer, we can rejoice in Him and proclaim Him everywhere we go. And I think if, if that's true, if we're rejoicing in Jesus, if we find our soul-satisfying joy in Christ, then we're going to want to talk about Him. We're going to want to proclaim Christ everywhere we go. Right? If you're a tech fan, you want to be known as a tech fan. If you're a UVA fan, you want, at least when basketball season comes around, you want to be known as a Cavalier. And so we are to proclaim Christ everywhere we go. Read with me verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They just got beaten. They just got told, don't you ever tell anyone else about the name of Christ. And what do they do? Immediately they went out. Immediately they taught and preached Christ to all who would listen. John Mott says this. He says, it is possible for the most obscure person in a church with a heart right toward God to exercise as much power for the evangelization of the world as it is for those who stand in the most prominent positions. Did you hear that? Even the most obscure person who doesn't want to be on a stage, doesn't want to teach a Sunday school class, who may even think, I don't even know that much about Jesus. Even you, with a heart towards Christ, can do as much as someone on a stage to bring the world to Christ. It just requires that we proclaim Him. It means that when we find our joy in Christ, no matter what's going on around us, that we are opening our mouths and sharing Him because He's the one that we find our joy in. So your position is not what determines how God uses you and the effectiveness of bringing others to Christ. I think if we're looking at the, the example of the apostles, it's that we find our joy in Him. We find it that we are worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And when we do, we open our mouths. We proclaim Christ, right? Even here, the apostles' message didn't change. They were preaching Christ before they were in prison. They're preaching Christ even after their second imprisonment. It doesn't change. Your message doesn't change 
from what you know of God and his word. We don't need to water it down. We don't need to make apologies for it. In fact, we can even have a boldness because we know that God can't be stopped. And so I hope that, that we can, without delay, even this week, perhaps today, if you go out to, to eat for lunch, you could even talk to your waiter or waitress. Hey, do you know Jesus? We just came to church and we go to church because we love him. We rejoice in him. He's the one that we find our hope in. I would love for you to find about hope in Christ if you don't know him. And in fact, can we even pray for you? There's so many easy ways you and I overlook opportunities to speak of Christ. These disciples didn't just do it in their homes, not their own homes. It says they went to the temple and from house to house. Let us do this everywhere we go. We're not just Christians in the church on a Sunday. We're Christ followers everywhere we go. And it's our privilege to represent him. Daniel Meyer says this, Jesus has both called and empowered us to take our place among the great cloud of witnesses in history. The question that naturally naturally arises is how. How do we go about being these witnesses of whom Jesus speaks? The short answer to this question is by proclaiming the gospel. So in Hebrews, this great cloud of witnesses that we read about, how do we become numbered as one of these great cloud of witnesses? Well, it's not by just sitting in a pew. It's not just by going into our home and and being sequestered by ourselves. It's by making disciples. It's by proclaiming Christ to all people. And I want to ask you, church, is there any greater thing that you and I could do? Is there anything greater that you could do at work than to work to the glory of God? Take every opportunity to proclaim Christ to your coworkers, to your boss. And in fact, sometimes if you're a boss, you, you might even be apprehensive to proclaim Christ to those who report to you, right? I don't want to be found as pushing my beliefs on somebody. Well, what about this? What if instead of telling those under you, what if you told your your peers? Or what if you even told your boss? I don't think it can be, be called or, or said that you're trying to push your beliefs on those who you're influencing at work. And our culture tries to tell us, let's not do this. Even our work culture does this. But what is this gospel that we're to proclaim? It is Christ. It's that every single one of us need Him. You've rebelled, you've sinned against him. And we could do nothing to bring ourselves back to him. But this is just the beginning. We're not just separated from him forever because he has sent Christ. That's the name that we're called to proclaim. And so if you've not bowed your knee to Christ and you're here today, this is the name you need to claim, that Christ is your only hope. That He's the one that you find joy in. He's the one that you long for. He's the only hope you have of being reconciled to God. 
And there's even better news. You don't do anything to earn His reconciliation. It is good. Could there not be any better news? You don't do anything to earn God's favor. I think that's worth rejoicing in as well. So let us proclaim Christ. Let us be ready for suffering. Let us be ready to be put down, to be shamed. But remember, your true joy is found in Jesus. And because our joy is found in Jesus and because we want to proclaim Him, we have a hope that's founded in our God who is unstoppable. And perhaps the words of Christ might even help motivate you from Matthew 25, 21. Jesus says there, He says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into My joy. Enter into my joy, right? Let us have joy in Christ as we proclaim Him because our God's unstoppable. But because He's unstoppable, we know one day we will hear those words from Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then we will enter in the joy of our Master. Real joy comes in being able to say to Jesus... Here I am. Lord, use me. So I pray that today you would have joy in Christ, that you would proclaim Christ eagerly because we know our God is unstoppable. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you that You're an unstoppable God. You will not be hindered by the strongest man. Your plan to redeem people from all over this globe throughout all of history is a wonderful and marvelous plan. And in fact, those in this room who have bowed their knee have, have reason to be joyful Because you have redeemed them. You've redeemed us to be your children through your work, through your grace of sending Christ. And so as we leave today, would you help us to proclaim Christ everywhere we go? In our homes, to our children and neighbors as they come over. In our neighborhood as we walk the streets, at at our workplace. Would you give us eyes to see opportunities to share you with others? as we rejoice in you. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.